Before I introduce my expert guest today, I just want to thank everyone listening for their support with the launch of my new book, Your Baby Doesn't Come With a Book. It's now available online and in-store at all good booksellers, and I'm just blown away by the reception, by the amount of people reading it, sending in their reviews, gifting it to pregnant friends. I am filled with gratitude and pride. You can get it at Big W, Amazon, Booktopia, Dimmix, Target, The Memo, and more. I'm on a mission for all parents to be empowered when their baby arrives and thrive, not just survive, the first four weeks. Hi, I'm Dr. Daniel Golshevsky, paediatrician and father of three. Welcome to my podcast, Dr. Golly and the Experts. Each episode, I'm joined by a parent who has faced an enormous challenge in raising their child and come out the other side as the expert. My guests today are Sky and Kieran Burke. Both Sky and Kieran are successful creatives, with Sky the founder of A Patch of Sky and Kieran with Monster Children Creative. When Sky was 34 years old, they had their first son, Marlo, thinking one child would be enough. But as she neared 40, the desire for another child became stronger and stronger and they fell pregnant with their second son, Jack. This pregnancy, however, was nothing like she expected. Sky and Kieran, welcome to the show. Nice to be here. Thanks for having us. Sky, your pregnancy with Jack was quite the ride. What was the first sign or the first indication that something wasn't right? Uh, I think the first scan we had at eight weeks, um, our obstetrician said, oh, it looks all good, a little bit small, but, you know, come back at 12 weeks and we'll check. And then we came back at 12 weeks and she said, oh, yep, still small, about a week behind where a baby would be at 12 weeks. Which is not terrible. Well, yeah, we were like, oh, I don't care. I'm sure it'll be fine, you know. And then we had kept having scans because Jack was an IVF baby. We had more scans than we normally would have probably. We kept having more scans and we got to the, every scan it was just a week behind. So there wasn't huge worry. Then we got to the 20 week scan and Dr. Faye said, look, I think you should have an amnio just to double check. I just want to make sure everything's okay. Uh, And that was the week before Christmas. So Kira and I went in, I had the amnio, Christmas Day came, waiting for the results. Uh, and then I think it was about the 27th of December, we got the results and they said, yeah, it's looking good. High fives all round. And then at about 28 weeks, we got the first bit of, I guess, indication that there might be something not quite right. Um, they sent us to a cardiologist. And he said, I think that the baby has a hole in its heart. But look, that's not to be hugely concerned about. That That's something that can easily be fixed post-birth. But, you, you know, I guess naturally every parent was like, would be thinking the same thing, like, oh, no, what does that really mean? Is it just hole in a heart sounds pretty severe. And, and during this process early on, were your concerns dismissed? Was it minimised? Was it played down? Or did they talk about all the possible causes. But well, they started talking about open heart surgery. Yeah. Yeah. You know, at like within the first fortnight, was it or maybe 20, the first 28 few weeks. Days. No, no, I'm sorry, but when he was born, remember they were saying, you know, within the oh, first yeah. week or so we'll have to look at stuff. Mm. I think we were in a bit of a with the blinkers false, on a bit, yeah, you know. Yeah. False. Everyone was very positive. Mm. You know, it was all fixable. 
I think because we got those tests back from the amnio saying, you know, there's no crazy genetic stuff, genetic stuff, thought. all of those really lifelong issues. And we were like, okay, well, it, we can deal with it then. Mm. Then at 30 weeks, though, I had another scan. And from that point on, they said, look, we need you to come in every couple of days because he started to fall back a little bit in terms of growth. And I'll never forget this. I had my mum up from Melbourne and we went to have a scan and they sent us straight to the hospital and they said, look, you need to go and see the fetal medicine specialists. We can't see enough on these scans. And I think that's when the probably the real fear came into it. I, I was driven to the hospital thinking I'd lost the baby. So we got there, they put the heart monitor on, they did all the tests and they said, listen, I think maybe Kieran, you're good at explaining this part because I really was not listening. I can't remember them even saying this stuff, but Kieran always says, yeah, they told us that. Yeah. <sighs> they still weren't 100% sure what it was, but they told us they thought there was a blockage in the bowel, in the duodenum, I think. The duodenal yeah. atresia is what they said. And, you know, they said, look, he's going to have to have surgery straight away. And did they, did they explain this in great detail? This is what oh. the duodenum is. This is yeah. what the yeah. problem is. So this being the tube that, that exits the stomach and begins the small bowel. Mm. So, I mean, there's only one tube. If that's mm. blocked or if that's not formed, it, it's not compatible with life. So it has mm. to be fixed immediately. I think Sky and I are very positive. So, you know, we took, on, took this all on, but everyone was saying, look, it's fixable. So that's what we took. We took it's fixable. Fine, we can, we can work with this. There was one thing that I remember the surgeon, Sky doesn't remember this, but I distinctly remember this. She said, don't worry. Normally, we don't see this in isolation. Normally, we'll see one or two or even three or four other little things, but we don't know what they are, so we don't need to worry about that now. Mm. We just need to work on what is in front of us. How, how, do, you, how do you take that information on and not just run how, straight how to not? Google uh, or panic? Well, actually, there was, a, there was another <laughs> child at, at the daycare. We, we, were at a, we went to a kid's birthday party, uh, our eldest son, one of his friends, and we started talking to these parents mm. and we were saying, oh, look, we're you know, going through this. And they said, oh, that, that's what, I can't remember his number. I think his name was Spencer. That's what Spencer had. And, you know, look, it was nothing. Oh, it was fine. They're amazing. That was the mum. I remember talking to the father mm. and he had a very different perspective on it. What did he um, say? It's just prepare yourself. There's going to be a lot of people around. They're not going to have the answers. They're going to give you a lot of, positive reinforcement, which is what you want to hear and what you need to hear. But, you know, make sure that you're, you're heard or you ask questions, you know. I mean, again, I was in a false sense of security. I thought, look, it'll be fine. I think because they sort of seemed to be very confident there was nothing mentally wrong. We thought, well, we can deal with the physical because mm. we live in a country where we're accessed every amazing thing when it comes to medicine. I think mm. we just kept that positive hope. But from that, they, but then from what they, they, what they what they were really good in on reflection was the hospital. Um, you know, they took us through. Okay, we don't know what we're dealing with. We think it's this, which is on the lower end of the spectrum of problems. But what we're going to do is prepare you for what you're going to go through, which is probably after he's born, surgery, and probably a fortnight in hospital, just recovery. And so, so they focused on the heart issue and the stomach issue. Yes. Yeah. 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 And at what point did they talk about a unifying overarching diagnosis? Not until about 45 minutes after he was born, when I met the surgeon, Guy Henry, he kind of gave me 
his prognosis on what he thought it was. There were things like they couldn't work out the TOF. They didn't know all these other things. They didn't know about the anal malformation. They didn't put it all together in utero. And it was only straight after or within maybe the first hour afterwards that I think they kind of put it all together and said, look, this is what we think it is. It was all <laughs> such a blur because yeah. we got to thir- we got to 32 weeks and things were still going a bit sideways every time I'd have a scan. They they tried to be positive because they could see the fear in our, in our faces. Did you just but, feel like every time you went for a scan yeah. you were given another another piece of bad yeah. news. If I ever yeah. see another ultrasound again, I can't even <laughs> begin to, we, if I ever see, when I see, have friends that show me their ultrasounds, I can't even look at them because we saw, had so many, but we were so supported at the, in Sydney, at the Sydney Children's and they just were really positive. But I wanted the baby out at 32 weeks. I actually measured 42 weeks at 30 weeks because there was so much fluid around the baby. So one, so one of the issues when babies mm. haven't, a problem with swallowing, they swallow mm. a lot of the fluid and if they can't swallow it, then the fluid builds up. And so you do enlarge quicker, which then puts more pressure on the uterus, which is linked with early delivery. So did you go into spontaneous onset of labor at 32 weeks? No, I was actually, I really wanted to have a natural birth because I'd had a really easy birth. With Marlo? Um, with Marlo. Mm. But my obstetrician, she just said, listen, I think it's not going to be safe for, for for this baby. I think we have to have a C-section. So Kira and I discussed it and we were like, yep, of course, whatever's going to be the best thing for the baby. And so I went in at 34 weeks to see her, have a checkup. And I said, this baby's coming. I can feel, I can feel it. I can just, I just had this sense. So she sent me to the hospital the next day and to have the steroid injections to boost the lungs. And when I was in there, um, before they gave me the steroid, I said, oh, look, I need you to go to the toilet. Went to the toilet, came back, said, I am bleeding. And I just, all I could think to myself was, I've lost the baby. So they examined me and I was eight centimetres dilated. Oh, you didn't even know. I didn't even know. I could not feel it because he was so small and I had so much fluid. I just, I couldn't feel it. Wow. So I called Karen. I said, you need to get to the hospital now. We're going to have the baby. And he took his time. They said, you need to call him back and tell him to come now. <laughs> um, yeah. And then had C-section. I think it was like six o'clock at night. And then I think our world changed forever. When he came out, was it beautiful? Was it amazing? Or was it traumatising? I mean, it's always beautiful when you witness your child being born. I think it was really weird because the natural birth of Marlo had been so magical and so empowering. And for me, I felt a bit hopeless having a C-section because you can't move, you can't, you know. But it was, we were just like, I remember, I remember Dr. Faye pulling him out and she had tears in her eyes and she goes, Sky, he looks okay. She, she was with us on that journey, you know. Yeah. She knew, mo- she, she knew, knew something was up, but you know, yeah. she just, obviously they had to do what they had to do, right? And, and was he, was he whisked away yeah. immediately? Yeah. So Sky's, Sky was high as a kite, so she's not going <laughs> to remember all the stuff. <laughs> and, 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 and yeah, there's a good reason for that. Um, it's funny because your experience, yeah. you know, is, is obviously it was way more traumatic for yeah. Karen because I mean, he had to deal so, with it. So basically I remember he came out and they said, look, you know, we, we both looked at each other. He's Jack. We was like, ah, yeah. oh, this is Jack. Cool. And then from the delivery suite, they kind of took him into the side room, which for anyone that's been through any form of surgery, it's like where the anesthesiologist kind of talked to you first. It, it felt like it was a side room. But then there were just specialists coming and then there was this person and there was this other person. 
And I was kind of like, what's going on? You know, there's just too many people. And I kept on talking to the midwife. So is everything okay? She's like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. You're lying. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. higher the pitch, the more the worry. <laughs> oh, sorry. And so then, um, but then I noticed, I was like, why is he bubbling? Like he's just, he's bubbling so much. What, what's going on? And they started oh. suction repogal. They were doing all this stuff and they were, then they kind of like, look, we're just going to go take him into the NICU. We'll do what we said we were going to do. And you just go sit down, just go take some time. Fine. So I went and sat down and kind of got on the phone, called mom because she knew there were some issues. She said, you know, what's going on? I said, well, look, everyone said, look, this, you know, they're just working out what it is, but his vitals are fine. They weren't, but, you know, I, I was in a false sense of positivity again. And then all of a sudden this guy, ironically, our surgeon, Guy Henry, came to the door and knocked and said, are you dad of Jack Burke? I said, yes. And he said, look, we need to have a quick chat. I said, sure, sure. And, you know, he said, have you been explained what's been going on? I said, look, I kind of get it. And, you know, he said, look, this is what we think it is. And I was kind of like, what are we talking here? Like, how bad is it? You know, and I was like, don't sugarcoat it. Like, I want to hear. And he was like, look, he needs to get through the next kind of 12 hours to get through the next 24 hours to get through the next 72 hours. And then we need to do this. We need to do that. You know, it was good because I kind of needed to hear that to be told, like, this is, this is the plan and this is what we're going to do. Because when, when Jack was in utero with Sky, I was like, I couldn't do anything. Like I, I needed a project. I needed a plan put in front of me and, and they kind of gave me a plan. But the plan was between me and Guy and all the other doctors and not to be told to Sky. That was made very clear. Like mm. I, I kind of said, look, you can't, unless she asks, you know, this, we need them to go have surgery, do what needs to be done. But you know, I don't, what you've just told me, she can't hear this right now because, you know, she needs to recover. So I kind of wore that a bit for, um, yeah, the first 24 hours. And did he give you an official diagnosis or did he focus just on the duodenum? So basically he said, look, oh man, okay. Well, he, so, t- he told us what was wrong. Yeah, he did. But I mean, there were just so many things. I felt like they were like, oh, and oh, he's got yeah. this. Oh, and he's got this. And then, oh, his, his bum hasn't been properly formed. And I'm like, what? His heart's on the other side. Your heart's body. on the other side. Is he hasn't this... got an esophagus. <laughs> yeah, the esophagus thing, like all the things that were actually life-threatening, I wasn't as concerned about. I was worried about his bum. I'm like, what about his bum? And he's like, mate, that is the least of our worries. We yeah. can fix that. Do not worry about that. So, so yeah, so basically he got whisked off into surgery and I... At I'd... two kilos and four hours old. Yeah. And Sky, where were you at this time? I was in recovery. They kept me in recovery for quite a long time. I think I think they actually dosed me up and I was out to it for a few hours because of they just I think they were just a bit concerned about my like mental state. Were, were you panicking? I was because I was like, "Where's my baby? Why have you taken away from him? I, I want to see my baby." And and Kieran wasn't with me. He was with with Jack. And you hadn't even held him. And I hadn't even. We didn't well, get that experience. Uh, we didn't get any of that. Couldn't smell him. Couldn't touch him. And. And so I woke up in recovery and Kieran was standing there and he just looked like a ghost. And I just said, oh, oh, he's, di- he's died. Um, and Kieran said, no, no, he's, he's alive, he's alive, but they've had to take him to surgery. And I said, oh, my God, is he okay? And, you know, Kieran being the strong man that he is, was like, no, babe, it's going to be fine, but he doesn't have a bottom. And I, we were just so, like, shocked at the bottom thing. In hindsight. He does now, by the way. He does now, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, If only we knew that being born with TOF 
where this uh, you could probably explain that to this <laughs> well you, let's more let's jump into this now because yeah. the the official diagnosis is vectoral mm. which it's not a disease in and of itself as you said it's not a genetic problem it's an acronym and it's a collection of problems that may or may not come together the way i tend to explain it is that it's kind of like if you were baking a cake and you had a recipe and you had to follow the 50 steps to making that cake. If you make an error at step four, it has a flow-on effect to step five, to step nine, to step 26, and there's a downstream consequence. And from a, a developing fetal point of view, there is some error that happens. We don't yet know what that initial problem is, but it has downstream consequences. And VACTRAL is an acronym for all the letters for all the different systems that may or may not be affected. So to go through it one by one, V stands for vertebral. So there are some, there, there can be problems with the spinal column. A is for anal atresia, which we've already covered with Jack, which is the anus isn't open. So there's no way for the bowel to empty its contents. Um, C is for cardiac, meaning heart defects, and there's a huge array of what the problems can be. We've already mentioned, as you said, a hole in the heart, heart on the wrong side of the chest. There's a whole complex uh, list of possibilities from that point of view. The TE is for tracheoesophageal, where the airway and the feeding pipes develop abnormally, and again, we've mentioned that with Jack. R is for renal, meaning kidney problems, and L is for limbs, which can see abnormalities in the arms and or the legs. It's a, it's a long list, and it is terrifying, but as we said, not all of them necessarily occur together. And in each one, there's such a huge spectrum from, yeah, that's no problem, we'll fix that in a jiffy, to a lifelong issue. So with all the variability in terms of how the issues manifest, which of these does Jack have? I feel like all of them. Yeah. Uh, probably probably the, the one he doesn't have, we'll start there, is the renal yeah. issues. That's probably the one that... So kidneys are fine. Kid, yeah. Kidneys are fine, but, but everything else, there is some form, it's on the spectrum of the V. So uh, vertebral, his yeah, spine? Yeah, so his lower... Sacrum, I think it is the lower part of the spine. Is there's a few, few a issues bit, there. It's a bit bent. A bit bent. Um, he had the anal atresia, as you said, and that was Hard corrected. Yes, at yes. Eighteen months. Eighteen months. Yes. So, he, so had, he's, yeah. he's in a, he's, he had his stoma for the you know majority of the first part of his life. So that's um, where you can't have the poo coming out the anus because it's not patent and it's not it's not open, and so they take the bowel and they basically plug it into the front of your abdominal wall, your stomach, and have the poo come out into a, it's called a stoma, and then the poo comes out into a bag. That's a hell of a lot to manage as parents. You don't get a choice though. That's what we, we learned very quickly. You just jump on the horse and go with it. You've alluded, Sky, to Kieran being a problem solver. That sort mm. of, give me a problem, I'll fix it. And Kieran, you mentioned how frustrating it was pre-birth that you couldn't get your hands on it and, and fix it. Is that how you approach things with Jack? It's just tell me the problem, tell me what I can do, let's move on? Definitely. Yeah. yeah it's, I mean, a lot of people always go like, oh, you know, how do you guys do it? And I'm like, well, you, you just, you don't get a choice. But the one thing I think both of us agree is that we were surrounded by so many people worse off than us. Yeah. And that was the thing that actually made our journey easier. You know, our child didn't die. Our child isn't. I mean, we, we, there's a, 
15, 16, probably he must be 18 now, a kid yeah. who had Vactral, which is on, on the worst form mm. of the spectrum. So he would have been 15 at the time. He would have spent most of his life most in hospital. Most of his life in hospital. And we knew that our Jack wasn't going to have that life because you, you could just see. You had context. We had yeah. context. And, you know, we had a really... Our surgeon was... Yeah, pragmatic, just, really like just a, a surgeon who just didn't sugarcoat it. But, I mean, we were very much on the same level. He kind of said, look, if he can get to this, mm-hmm. then he can do this. If we can get to this, we can do this. We can get to this. We can, you know, we can just keep... And I know for me and for Skype, probably it's, I mean, it's just, it just helped us. It's like setting goals, right? Cool. We mm. got this goal. Cool. I mean, we also had a really good sense of humor, which might sound weird. Dark sense of humor. Dark sense of we humor. We do. He does. And, that. and it just made the whole, like, I look forward to him coming in the room. Well, yeah. give me and, some examples. Oh, oh I, can't, I, can't, I don't can't. know if we can say oh, them man. all. <laughs> there's, there's some good stories for Jack's 18th or 21st, that's for sure, but. We also, I mean, and uh, we also met another couple in the hospital who had a baby a week to the day before us and they've become our best friends because their baby had the exact identical issues to what Jack did. And, and the same surgeon as well. Just happened to be surgeon. born on the Tuesday the week before. They put us next to each other. Yeah. We spent almost six months together every single day. Their daughter is the same age as our son, Marlo. We knew people mutually but didn't know each other. They've got six sense of humour. We've got a six sense of humour. And Your father owns a pub. Yeah. They helped as well. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and and they, I think that was one of the things that helped get us through. If we hadn't had those guys, Claire and yeah. Garrett, they were yeah, that, amazing. And, and now they live in the country in New South Wales and when we FaceTime, Jack and Dusty, Dusty is the little boy's name, they just know. They've got this bond where they're just like, they, they wouldn't have known back then because they were newborns, but they know that they've been through this journey together and it's it's actually kind of the most beautiful part of, of Jack's story. Yeah. And in some ways people are like, oh, you know, if you'd known all this, would you have gone through it? Well, I don't know if I would have taken it back. I would have taken all the pain and all the suffering that Jack had to go through, but through this we've we've gained them in our life and also gained a new perspective, I think, on life as well. Yeah. Cliche as it sounds. Yeah, it does sound it does, cliche. You know. but. <laughs> How many days was Jack in hospital for before you were able to go home? Uh, 152 days. No, 156. 156. <laughs> I just checked. Yeah. So we were in the Royal Children's, uh, Royal Women's in Sydney. And then at eight weeks, they moved us from the NICU into the intensive care unit at Sydney Children's. And that was a really scary day because no longer are you just in the bubble of newborns, which is horrific to see newborns sick, but then you're in an environment where you're seeing 12-year-olds, 16-year-olds, older kids. Yeah, so then we, we spent. And then Jack actually caught a bug when he was in the ICU, which meant that they gave us our own room, which was a blessing. Yeah, it was a best bug. So did Dusty, actually. We yeah. both had private rooms. There yeah. You oh, you both transferred there? Yeah, we yeah, both. Yeah. It was actually we the, the they whole... connected the hospitals. Right. So we just like went down the corridor and, yeah, ended up being at Sydney Children's. And when but... you went home, what, what did you go home with? What supports did Jack need? I mean, I'm... a stoma. They, stoma. They, they prepare you very well at that hospital. I think by the time we left, we were experts at the stoma. Yeah, but I guess for context, everything that 
they could do and achieve by the time he went home was done. As in they'd corrected his, joined, his joined the esophagus. They'd got everything, I guess, ready to come home. And he was feeding at that stage. Am I right? He wasn't. He just, he was, started, he was still, he just started orally taking medicine. So he was fed through a peg up until probably about 125 days. Maybe? So peg, peg standing for percutaneous enterogastrostomy. So that's where instead of feeding through the mouth down the esophagus into the stomach, there's a tube that plugs directly through your tummy, your skin, direct into the stomach. So yet another tube going in to Jack. So one going in to let the food in, one coming out to let the the stool out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, So he couldn't couldn't have my breast milk. Obviously, I couldn't breastfeed, but I did express for six months and they gave that to him through the peg. But then I think by that stage, I'd just like, I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't be at home and get up in the middle of the night and pump and there was no baby. It was just getting to me. That's a very, very long time to keep expressing for. Oh, I don't know why I did it. When I think back, I'm like, well, I wish someone had told me in the hospital, hey, you know what? It's okay. You don't need to do that. So how, how many surgeries, up to now, how many surgeries has Jack had? Uh, he's had five major surgeries, but oh, I don't know, 20 to 25 procedures where he's had to go uh, undergo anesthesia. And, um, and, and yeah. it's ongoing. It is, but it's getting further and further apart. The the need for dilatations to keep the esophagus from stricturing, um, getting tighter. He he doesn't have an esophagus like normal people. He actually ended up having his stomach uh, lining basically became the tube because they couldn't join the little bits of esophagus that he was born with. So because of that, actually anyone that has this form of issue, even if it's a trachea or esophagus, they, they stricture, it gets tighter. So we... Every so often, um, we actually didn't have one for nearly 18 months, but they just one day will stop being able to take food down, water, everything. We had one recently about two months ago, but up until then, he hadn't had anything for 18 months. But he's also more prone to infections. Chest infections. Chest infections, little things. He he, he aspirates a lot when he'll cough and then it'll go into the lungs and he's, he's... to look, to look at him, you wouldn't think he's a sickly kid at all. He's nuts. He's crazy. He's, you know, and relative to where he was. But the the hospital visits are getting further apart. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, definitely. Doesn't feel like it sometimes. It's, but yeah, yeah, I think we we like we've just gone through a bit of a rough patch in the last three months, and it gets me and Kieran down because we're like high fiving each other, going, "Oh my gosh, we're doing so well!" You know, we moved to Queensland three years ago, and that was a game changer. I think from a health point of view for him too, just to be in a warmer environment. Mm. But I think it's important to highlight that it sounds so simple. You know, oh, there's a hole, we'll close it. Oh, it's closed, we'll open it. We'll just plug this into that, problem solved. Mm. Like it's very easy to talk about. But when the body doesn't grow normally and naturally and you have to intervene, there's often ongoing problems because as you said this is tissue that's meant to be in the stomach it's not meant to be in the esophagus it works mm-hmm. for now but it won't work forever and you mentioned stricturing a couple of times so that's where that tissue just gets narrower and narrower the tube that should be getting bigger and bigger as you grow gets narrower and narrower and then you can't swallow solid foods and eventually it strictures and narrows so much you can't swallow water mm-hmm. so he has their procedures where they put a device in to enlarge the diameter of the tube from the inside 
But as you said, that's another procedure. It's another anesthetic. How does Jack cope with all of these hospital visits, these procedures that doctor visits? How does he cope with it? I think when he was a baby, it was much easier because he didn't really know. But now I've really noticed, like even in this last couple of months where we've been in hospital a bit, you can start to see the fear. Mummy, I don't want any neck because his, his veins are shot because he's had so many needles. Mummy, I don't want any needles. I don't want any needles. He prefers Kieran. We take turns now rather than us both go. I think COVID sort of might, may have affected that too. But he, I think he feels way more comfortable with Kieran in the hospital environment than me. Why do you think that is? I, I don't know. They're very close. I mean, we're very close too, but maybe it's that dad's going to protect me kind of. No, we make a day of it. Yeah. We just make a bit of fun with it. You know, we go yeah. looking for robbers, as he likes to do around the kids' <laughs> hospital. Um, he's, you're right, this guy, he, he fears it, but he's mm. also very, like all the nurses, all the doctors, like, oh, my God, he's like the best patient. He's just like, yep, I know what I've got to do. Cool, do this. Blood pressure, no worries, done. There's my finger. Put the, put the heart monitor on. Yep, I know. It's like he's, he's actually becoming a specialist in his own way mm. as well. He mm. wants to be a doctor. Yeah. He, that's, he that's knows. Actually, like it's actually very, very common. Is mm. it? Yeah, kids yeah. Who, are, who are highly medicalized from a very young age often want to go into that area because they're just so comfortable there. They're so used to mm. it. Their health mm. literacy is enormous. It's a very, very common outcome. Yeah, I mean, he's very, uh, I mean, for what is he, nearly five, well, he's five next year. I mean, he's, you know, he's so aware of his issues, how he has to deal with things. So one of the big things, obviously, was learning to eat. Most kids with TOF were on a spectrum. We were told that he would never eat Solid most food. things, you know, like he was going to be basically eating, you know, like soups Puree. and purees for the rest of his life. Like if I put an apple in front of him right now, he will smash it. Like I send videos to the surgeon and he's just like, I have no answer for that. Like <laughs> he can eat and does eat anything. They were like, never put rice in front of him. Well, he loves it and one of his favorite foods is sushi. Yeah, he, he does everything that, you know, they it's quite remarkable. Should. But when he does eat too fast or too quick or it doesn't quite go down, like he knows how to regulate now. Mm. Like he will actually put his finger down his throat and bring it up. He knows to have a drink of water. He knows to stand up. He knows to do like a little lean forward with his with his chin to kind of move it down the um, we'll call it the esophagus. But are you are you guys living on eggshells that no. he can no. have a choking episode? No, no, no. You, you, we'd like literally. He's had them when we've oh. had friends or family over, and everyone around us just freaks out. Like my mum, she's like, "Oh my god, oh my god, do we need to call the doctor?" And me and Kira are like, "Hey, Jack, come on!" Like, I think that that's just been part of. You get highly attuned to what. So, like, he got salmonella yeah. oh. maybe, like, four or five months ago. That was the sickest I've yep. ever seen. I was more worried about salmonella than I was in the surgeries in the hospital. 100%. <laughs> like, it was like, I don't know, it'd it have to be pretty bad for us to get really worried about him. I know that sounds kind of... He was of, in hospital for seven days with it. I've never seen him so sick. Yeah. But um, it, it sounds like we're being blasé, and I don't want people to think that we're being blasé. It's just when you are around this so much, mm. you get so highly attuned to what things to look for. And I don't want this to sound like he's always sick, like he's not always sick. It's just when he gets sick, you do hear about it, you know about it, you know what I mean? And it's normally... Winter's worse than summer as well. Like when we drop him at daycare and I see a child with green snot, you know, coming down its, out of its nose, I'm thinking, oh gosh, maybe Jack, we should go home today. Also, the reason he ends that, up at the hospital so much is because you can't go to the GP. 
No yeah. GP wants to deal with this kid, and rightfully so. They're like, take him to the ER. He needs to be checked over by people that are ready to go. So we've got frequent flyer points to the Gold Coast. <laughs> but, you, but you feel confident and comfortable to know the difference between some of the needs in emergency care and some you can manage at home. Yes. Yeah, yeah we're, at, we're at that stage now. You, I think we try and we don't push it, if that makes sense. Mm. Like we're not like, oh, yeah, he's fine, we'll be okay. We don't get to that stage where it's like too late. We always action before. We both, we both know. We just look at each other. Yeah. It's like, right, who's going? Cool, you, me. And done. for some reason, the bad stuff always happens in the middle of the night. Yeah, always, mm. always with always. kids. Always, But it's yeah. a beautiful example of, of the entire premise of this podcast is that mm. someone else, even a, even a paediatrician, may look at Jack and think, Oh, you know, I'm terrified. I got to get got to get my head around this. I don't I don't know what's going on. Whereas you guys are, are really comfortable. You know, you're not being blasé. You just know when to uh, escalate and when he'll be fine. He can deal with his mini choking episode and navigate it himself. But what I want to know, I, I want to talk about Marlo. Now, this is what I'm going to cry. He's he's the he's incredible. I mean, take me through his journey from. He would have imbibed a hell of a lot of anxiety during your pregnancy. What then happened after Jack was born? I think he was just so excited that he was going to have a baby brother. Like, we didn't find out what we were having with Marlo. It was a surprise. But then when I was pregnant, you know, Kieran and Marlo kept saying, come on, we've got to find out. And we found out it was another boy. We were so happy. So I think he was just so excited to meet his baby brother. But he kept saying, oh, I'm going to get a present, aren't I, when the baby brother comes. <laughs> Smart. <laughs> um. But it was, it was scary because, like, we didn't want to bring him into that environment of a NICU. Like, you, you've been there. You know what it's like. It's it's a petrifying place. There's nothing worse than seeing sick children. But He didn't give two hoots. He, did, he just ran in and, he and you know, Jack was tubes everywhere. This is 24 hours after the first major surgery. A little, little, you know, you couldn't even see him for the tubes. Just pat him on the head. Where's my present? Let's do this. But <laughs> You're going to be my best friend for life. Yeah. And I mean, they're inseparable. Yeah, I mean, we were worried about it, but they're so resilient. He's very aware of protecting his brother Mm. and he's very aware of even he will know when to look out for things. But he's not an anxious kid by any means. He He's he's kind of, he's probably got the same outlook as us. He's been on the journey. Mm. Um, And we never sugarcoated anything for him. I think we were pretty honest with him. How how did Jack and Mother, how do they describe the issue? Like if someone, if they were meeting someone new or if they were describing it to a family member or friend or something, how did they describe the problems? Well, Marlo's always like, my brother died and came back to life oh, yeah, three times because we've, we've kind of lost Jack sort of like, you know, on the surgery table a few times and he's come straight back. Touch and go back, a few touch times, yeah. My brother's died three times and come back to life. I think he added one on there. Yeah. <laughs> it's a badge of honour. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, how Jack, I don't think Jack even thinks about how he would describe, he's just so like, I'm me. Like yeah. it just doesn't even. I guess in his head it's yeah. it's relatively normal. Like it's normal for him. He's got dusty. Mm. This probably happens to every third or fourth kid in his brain. Probably. Yeah, he doesn't realise how, yeah, special. I, I can't yeah. wait to see it when like Dusty and him are like old enough, say like 10 or something, to have a conversation about it. Yeah. Compare like, notes. Compare notes. They I probably that, won't even care, though. They probably <laughs> won't. They're both so tough. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, like, they're the main event in any room, both <laughs> of them. Yeah, but, look, I think it's been the making of Marlo. My 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 father is extremely proud of Marlo because my, my dad's brother, he had an accident when he was quite young and became a quadriplegic. 
So my father kind of became that younger sibling of a sibling that was sick and couldn't do certain things that he could do. So dad and Marlo, I think, have grown really close. And they've got a special this. bond. Yeah. And I think, I think dad knows what he went through and he's just really protective that Marlo doesn't feel those feels. And, I mean, there are times where Kira and I are like, oh, gosh, we've got to put – you know, we're, we're stressing out about Jack and then it's like, oh, Marlo's trying to tell us that he got like five goals in a soccer match that day. So I think it's important that we, we, we make an effort to put as much time and effort as we can into – And was that a conscious decision by the two of you, even going back to when Jack was in NICU, yeah. Sky, you were in hospital, you always wanted yeah. to make sure there was a focus on Marlo? Yeah. I mean, Marlo would come in. He was still at daycare in that first period when Jack was, but he would come in with me on the days he wasn't at daycare and he would spend a whole day in the hospital and never complain. The Starlight Foundation were incredible in terms of entertaining him in ho- while we were in hospital. And we he, just did, he never we just complained. Did work, couldn't we? Like Sky yeah. would, I'd do the mornings at home with Marlo, drop him off and I'd come at four. Sky would go pick him up. And we just did that for five, six months. And it actually became really a really mm. safe routine. Yeah. So what, what, about, what about the two of you? How did this impact your relationship? I think we became closer. And the, yeah. we, we always well, it's say... going to bring you closer or... Or break you up, break which we saw up, a lot yeah. of that in hospital I'm sure. too. Yeah. Um, but, you know, as Kieran often, you often say, when I was down, he was high. And when I was high, he was down. And I just never forget, we had we'd, we were in a really scary place after Jack's second big surgery where they had, like, they um, joined the esophagus and, you know, he was in a coma and it was scary. And I just never forget, one morning we both woke up and we were both like, let's just, it was a really sunny winter's day in Sydney. We got in the car and we drove to the hospital, Marlo in the back, it was a Sunday. And we just were like, it's going to be a really good day. And we got, we, we put some music on in the car and we got to the hospital and Jack woke up, came out of that coma. He just, those little eyes, and it was just like, yeah, it was a really magical moment that we were all aligned and all in a good place. What would you say of all the challenges that have been thrown at you, some major, some minor, some big for you that not necessarily big for someone else, what would you say has been the most challenging part for you answering separately regarding Jack's condition? Uh, you got, well, I, I think I, 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 I wasn't really a stay-at-home mum with Marlo. Yeah. I kept working because I was really passionate about what I was doing and I had to put all of that aside when Jack came. And I, that was a very much attached to my personal identity as well. And so, you know, for two years I became a stay-at-home mum and that was the hardest job and the hardest thing I've ever done in my life because it's just relentless. And I think just seeing someone that you love so much in so much pain or just having to go through things that you would never wish anyone to go through, it was really hard. It was really, really hard. But like I said before, there was also so much amazing, amazing things that came out of this whole thing, the people we met, the things we learned about ourselves, each other as a family. As, I think we were very, very lucky. We've had such an amazing supportive network around us that really helped as well. Our family have been incredible. Our friends have been incredible. But, yeah, for, for me it was definitely 
like leaving a part of my life behind. And I don't think I've ever got that back, but now I'm okay with that. Now I've sort of got a happy medium of the both. And yeah, at the end of the day, the most important thing is having healthy children. And Kieran? For me, it was, it was before he was born. Like I can deal with all this stuff. Like it's, it's really weird. You really do work out what you're good at or what you can deal with, but I can't deal with the unknown. And maybe two or three weeks before the before Jack was born, we we went for this Niku tour. You know, they thought it'd be great to get us, you know, immersed in where we were going to spend. We thought no more than two weeks, and it was probably the worst thing that could have happened because we walked in and there was a child with its intestines completely out of its body, hanging from this thing. I don't know what it's called, but it does happen, right? Gastroschisis. And I just freaked out. I'm like, what is going on? And then for that next three weeks, like I went to the doctor, I went blood pressure and she was like, you need to like go see a psychologist like today. You need to talk to someone or you're going to burst. Like I just called work. I said, I, I can't come in. Like I just can't. And, you know, they were fantastic, you know. But thank God I went and talked to someone. I think I had two sessions before he was born because I remember going two days after he was born and the psychologist, she was like, how you been? I was just like, well, this happened. It's just a photo of Jack, like with all these tubes hanging out of him. And I really think that those two sessions just managed to release just some form of pressure that was just building up inside me. It's because when Jack was born, it was like a button pressed on with you and you're like, right, I'm on. Let's yeah, it's just like, all right, I've got to roll now. I yeah. can do something, you know. What what it is, I didn't know. But but yeah, that was, that was the hard, like... Uh, Yes, it's been hard with Jack, with, with everything, but it's just, it's, don't have a choice. I love him. We love him. We just do it. You know what I mean? It's, it was more before that was, that was actually the hardest part of my life. And as Sky said, that second surgery, it was like 14 hours and, you know, they had plan A, plan B, plan C, we're at plan C. I was like, well, what's plan C, you know, plan D? Well, there is no plan D. Thankfully, plan C worked. You know, that was obviously, <laughs> that was a pretty, uh, pretty dark day, but you know, that's, Three, three years ago. Look, it's a, it's, a very, it's a very male approach that, you know, give me a problem, I want to solve it. It's very, very common amongst dads, but what's not common enough is what you did in terms of seeking help before you hit that wall. And as you said, it's just a really good pressure release. It's a beautiful analogy. You just took the pressure out and then it probably gave you the energy required to then tackle all of these new problems you had to face. Yeah, and also when, when we were in hospital, it was great. I mean, they had people coming and asking, do you need help? Do you want to talk to someone? I was like, look, you know what? I'm th- thanks. But yeah, you've done we it. Were both, we were both really good. I think we had Claire and Garrett. Yeah, we had our kind of little support yeah. network. And, and Dr. Henry. Yeah, and also my employer, six months of just like coming and going when I needed to. They, I mean, to this day, they're still supportive. You know what I mean? Like amazing. And that, just all these things, like, and that's where you kind of go, well, we're actually blessed. Because, you know, we, we met a couple who had to fly from Tasmania and they were going to be in that NICU for like, well, for two months. Well, they they had, had never even been to Sydney. And they were farmers. And, and one they, of their children. They lost their whole crop because they couldn't be on their farm. the farm. Yeah. Mm. And then and one, of the, one, of, the one chi- of the children. One of the children. It was, they were twins, mm. you know, and you're just like, and I don't know, I'm not there's very spiritual, or, but there's some kind of, yeah. you, you put in the situation where you, it just reframes it and you go, you know what, like, hey, Jesus, we're lucky. Mm. And Kieran, tell me about your other baby, about Art Helps Heaps. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, um, that's a little something that we, um, well, 
Sky's baby as well. No, but it's I guess your we just, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I look, I guess, again, I'm probably a glutton for punishment. You know, like in the industry I'm in, we film, we make TV ads and photo shoots and we're always working on creative projects and stuff. So we had so much downtime in the hospital, you know, six months of downtime basically. So there's only so many stomas you can change, <laughs> uh, you know, all that stuff. So we, we first off, we did a fundraiser for the, for the NICU we just basically called in favors from everyone and we created this thing called the Jack Raffle and we managed to raise about $130,000. And it was just one of those things you're like, oh, geez, this is quite an addictive feeling. And then felt we, good. Yeah, it felt good. And then we started like thinking about how lucky we are with not only NDIS, but all the not for profit, like the non government organizations. So you just Google, you find out everything you need, you know, Rare Voices Australia, Genetic Alliance, through the unexpected, another one that's just recently started, which is an organization that helps, was trying to get up and running to help parents who are going through these things in utero because there's not, in mm. my opinion, enough support pre. Prior, yeah. There's a lot of support when it happens. Mm. So anyway, so as, I mean, Art Helps Heaps is just a manifestation of just bringing together a lot of creative friends, basically beg, borrowing and stealing their artworks, putting them on T-shirts, art prints, bags, et cetera, and whatever, and, and we just put it out there and sell it. And we donate all the profits to charities or organizations that help people like us or, or people who yeah, people who care for kids, adults with genetic disorders and, and, also, and also the kids themselves. So, yeah, so we've, we just launched our third project actually today um, and we're, yeah, I think we're, we'll probably be about 75,000 in donations probably by next week, hopefully. Brilliant. So. Well, we'll put links in yeah. the show notes so we make sure that oh, awesome. we drive as Thank much you. traffic as possible. Thank you. Sky, as the expert in the room, what have you learned through this whole experience? What's your take-home learning? I think no matter what you're faced with, you have to be positive. You have to maintain positive attitude, an open mind, Seek out as much information as you can. Become yeah, become friends with your medical team because they're only there to help. There's no point in fighting them or resisting what they're telling you. Listen to what they have to say. Follow them. Follow their lead. And just like love your family and love love your partner because at the end of the day, if they're not there, this would be a much much more difficult journey to to, to go on by yourself. And I just. I'm so grateful that we live in a country where we have a medical system that, you know, acts the way it does. We're so, we're so, so blessed. And Kieran? I don't know if I can say it better than that. Um, yeah, I think don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be a man. Be a man when you need a plan, mm. but don't be a man when it comes to your emotions or bottling it up because if you aren't there mentally, then this whole thing is going to be way harder if you go through any journey like this. And that's not to say that you shouldn't have mental stress, mental issues. It's, that's fine. It's just you've got to deal with it and don't deal with it with alcohol or drugs. Yeah. Don't self-medicate when you're going through these situations because it's very easy to go on that journey. And I found myself a few times thinking that was just easier, but it's not. It's the worst thing you can do. But yeah, for me, it's more and 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 a positive attitude. But that comes down to the individual, right? That's that's it's your also your it's your right and your choice to not be you know happy every day. It's really. like yeah, it's okay to say why did this happen to me? Yeah, and wallow. You know, it's so 
that was one of the things that I found so difficult. People would be like, oh, you know, this was meant to be. No, it wasn't. It wasn't meant to be. It wasn't meant for Jack to be born into that. But it's really easy for them to say when they're not facing that situation. And you mentioned that if you looked at Jack, you wouldn't think anything was wrong. He's full of beans and he's cheeky and, and oh. you know, full of energy. Can you describe what Jack's mobility, what his movement is like now? Well, he thinks he's as fast as Sonic the Hedgehog, <laughs> but he's not. Uh, no, look, he, he, I think the, the L in the acronym, LIMS, yep. he's definitely a little bit on the spectrum. Um, it took probably, him a long time to walk. Yeah, he, like, he, he couldn't crawl. He's bump shuffler. I mean, he laid on his back for the first six months of his life, right? Yeah. So he didn't really have the same mobility. But he, as he gets older, like um, we're noticing his muscle mass and his legs is a lot lower than other kids. Yeah. And I think it's his feet are a little bit angled in. But nothing, we would probably notice it more than anyone because we're so particular. Like I don't think anyone else. He plays else soccer. Would. Yeah. He, he I rides mean, the bike. Right, yeah, he's very active. Like to look at him, there is just no... There's, there's nothing you can tell about him. It's really all the internal stuff, you know what I mean? So he's, When but, we you changed know. medical teams when we moved to Queensland, I remember going to our paediatrician and when we walked in, he goes, this is Jack? And we're like, yeah, and he goes, <laughs> on paper, this child does not look like that. <laughs> yeah. But so, it's all on the inside. Yeah, it's all yeah. on the inside. Yeah. yeah. We're, and we were, like we were explaining some of the kids we met with Vactoral, that one in particular, yeah. his L acronym, sorry, letter in the acronym, you know, was on the real extreme side of things. So, you know, we just all had, but he had no, well, not as many internal things. So it's, you know, yeah, it's all, it's all relative, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, Sky and Kieran Burke, thank you so much for sharing Jack's phenomenal journey, one that is not finished yet, but your positive outlook, your resilience, it's, I hope, infectious. And it's a, it's a wonderful example to other parents out there who, maybe navigating their own challenge or, or maybe receiving a diagnosis like Factual with their child in the future. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having us. And to enjoy more parenting stories like this one, please like, follow, subscribe and share Dr. Golly and the Experts wherever you listen. For any information on my sleep programs or new book, head to drgolly.com. And just before you go, I have a favor to ask. If you're enjoying this podcast, I'd love it if you could rate and review the show so that more people can find us and hear these incredible stories just like Sky and Kieran's. <laughs>